When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I mean, we all know the, you know, top of the class, the, the kid who somehow knew how to tie his tie yeah. right before everybody else. And like, and I, I love those kids. I hire those kids. I was not that kid though, right? And so for those who are not that dude, right, that, but that just have that, that sense that man i just cannot fail like i can't you know i can't i we, i got too much on the line just know that that was certainly me as well i, I wasn't the i mean you know i was i had a loud mouth sometimes and so i was a- active in different things but i it, it wasn't i wasn't the clean you know he's definitely going to be the one to make it kind of a dude it yeah. was it was something other than that 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back. Welcome back, people. Listen, another amazing episode. I'm not even going to say I'm not going to say it because I'm going to say it because I mean it every doggone time. Another amazing episode on the way. And and I want to set you up for this one. And for those of you who listen to this podcast with any regularity, and I hope that's all of you, you know, we love to talk about like how to build better, how to be better, how to build better, how to become better. We love to teach you things, but inspiration and and dreaming is a huge part of how we actually succeed. To dream something, to see it when we close our eyes or when we go inside of our minds, and then to be able to put that into action and achieve something is a fundamental part of success, in my opinion. And I want to start this episode with a a challenge. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, to evolve. Actually, I don't want to challenge you to evolve. I, I want to challenge you to be revolutionary, right? Evolution is not enough. I want you to be revolutionary. I want you to change the status quo so significantly that your future lives in a state that's just unrecognizable to most so that you are doing and creating so much amazing, so much new, so much different that the only word they can use to describe you becomes that of a visionary. Like, that's what I want for you. That's what I want to challenge you to do today, listeners, family. I I want you to imagine 
the best version of yourself and then shoot for something like two steps past that. Like I challenge you to, to do that and, and to be that because honestly, that's what I challenge myself with every day. I'm a dreamer, I'm a builder, and I challenge you to do the same. I, I challenge you to close your eyes and see a future that seems unrealistic. And then I want you to take a moment and create a few linear goals that will move you closer and closer to that new reality. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, like, but with time and effort and consistency, you'll find yourself in this new reality where things that just yesterday felt impossible will today feel expected. You will wake up and expect great to find you where you are in that moment and you will embrace it and you will move and you will move through it, right? The world will feel different. You'll begin to expect differently. You'll embrace the lessons from yesterday's failure and you'll be excited to apply them to your tomorrow. I'm saying this because I mean this. This is the place that I find myself in, abundantly blessed, receiving things that I want that I need, that I pray for, but I don't even ask out loud for the world has aligned so significantly to what I'm trying to do that it delivers that to me. I want that for you. I I want you to find your mindset shift. Now, I've been talking a lot, so I'm I'm going to pull back. I'm just going to say preach, preacher. (laughs) Preach, preacher. Come on now. Hallelujah. Let it move you with the word. (laughs) I was about to pass an offering plate, man. Right, right. Now, look, we can go on past an offering plate. The brother will take an offering. Believe that. (laughs) Now, listen, I I went through all that because our guest today is a living example of that. He has done and continues to do amazing. He is a dreamer. He is a builder. And it's put him in this position to have a long list of accolades, CEO, leader. Like he, he is doing things, author, right? He, he dreamed his way to become the leader of community partnerships for the White House, faith-based, sorry, faith-based and neighborhood partnerships under President Obama. He's one of the country's top voices on community partnerships. And he's a CEO times two. That's times two. Two organizations at the same time. This brother has done some amazing things, and he is here today to help you find your way to amazing. So I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to introduce Brother Joshua Dubois to Wild Black. Brother, what's the word? Man, it is an honor to be on Wild Black. I'm over here fired up from your intro and (laughs) just excited to talk to the people, man. Listen, I I told them a little bit about you, two-time CEO, President Obama affiliation, leader, author. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else you want to tell these amazing people before we get started? Man, I I am most importantly husband to Michelle Dubois um, and and father to six-year-old August and four-year-old Adelaide and almost two-year-old Auden and child of God and uh, son to Christy and grandson to Catherine and, and, I love and a few other folks that we would throw in the mix. So yeah, those are, those are the, probably the most important affiliations. I love it. And brother, forgive me for omitting husband, father, and son. Those are absolutely the most important titles we can have. Mm. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. When you said husband to Michelle, I said, "Hey, now, don't, don't, don't say the wrong Michelle." Because I know, I know, Barack can <laughs> exactly. get you. Don't, don't do no, that. I, 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 I'm very clear about which one. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. do that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little scared of that brother. <laughs> All right, well, well Josh, we are. 
come back to that, Derek, because I got a, I got a, I got a story about being scared of, of our former president too. So let's come back to that one, okay? We we shall not forget because I'm I'm interested and intrigued <laughs> already because any brother yeah. that can push the button and send the missiles or do something to my taxes, and no, I'm good. I can't cross that, brother. <laughs> I might be a little intimidated and scared too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh man. It's both him, but the guys with the guns around him too. So I'll, uh, mm. and it is related to basketball. So again, don't don't let me forget to tell you that. All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, yep. we're gonna get into our wild black shit. Connects you to the audience. All right, brother, you ready? Absolutely, always. The question is: Is our brother Joshua ready for this wild black shit? I don't know, man. I cannot promise that I'm ready, but we're gonna roll okay. with it. Let's see what all happens. right, all right. So check it out. We got three <laughs> questions. Two questions, kind of get you warmed up. And then the third question <clears throat> is our signature question that we ask every single guest uh, in okay. our, our audience loves that one. So the first question, mm-hmm. how many popular black folks line dances can you name? And for <sighs> bonus points. Oh, can I name? Not can I do, can I name? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now, now, wait. I'm gonna give you the, I'm gonna so, give you the bonus question. Uh, you got to get the bonus question. Okay. Yep. When is the most appropriate time to dance each, and who is the artist of each of those songs? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Can you name the artist to the wobble right now? Come on, I, man. Oh I yeah, can, but oh, I have yeah. to look him up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can, I okay. can name it without uh, looking yeah. it up. Yeah. But uh, wobble is good. Is That's insane. one. Ding. Okay, wobble. Let's say Cupid Shuffle. Uh, I got to I gotta go back to the teen club when I was 16 and a half, um, driving from outside of Dayton to Cincinnati, the booty call. You remember? Hey, don't call me the booty call. <laughs> um, I remember that. Cha-Cha Slide. Yeah. Cha-Cha just Slide. Don't, just don't stop. Yeah, Cha-Cha Slide. Um, Y'all gonna have to do this booty slide man, thing. Uh, I, ain't, I ain't heard that <laughs> No, no, it's not a booty slide. It's a booty call. Uh, Darius, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Ain't no call. I do. No, I, I mean, do. Uh, yeah. See, this is the um, moment where we need to publish video so to see y'all do this. <laughs> no, we do not. That, that would, <laughs> the whole entire brand would collapse. The entire... Uh, Quickly. <laughs> Look, all our brands. <laughs> Look, like just every, or blow everything, up. Just all or of, blow up. Yeah. I, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. I, I literally cannot begin to tell you um, the artists. Um, so I'm not even going to try there. That was bonus points slide, anyway. You good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Electric slide. Um, does the Macarena count as a black line dance? Probably not. I mean, a lot of black folks did the Macarena for a couple of years. There. Right. But you, I mean, you, you hit the main ones. You killed it. Yeah. You, yeah, you got yeah. it. You already, you already didn't hit four of them already. So you good. You tight. Here's the thing. Can you, can you do them all? <laughs> Oh, absolutely not. My, my <laughs> wife is a my wife is a signature wobbler. Like that is, you know, that is her moment to shine at every wedding. But um mm-hmm. but no, I um I, I'm, I'm not um I'm not I I mean I can do a legend slide. I can do a cha cha slide and I can do a little bit of wobbling, but yeah. It's I'm not an expert by any means. So check like it out. Do them all. It sounds like he can do every single one of them. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. 
In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Of them with confidence. That's what it sounds like. I, I like to set expectations low and exceed those expectations. Ah, okay. Got you, got you. Well, you, you killed that question. And, and I like the fact that you said the wedding is a key time for any of those dances that would be yeah. highly appropriate. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Second question. You a hitchhiker. Now, I don't know why we mm. we're gonna just go with this one. First off, this is the Wild Black Podcast. Black people don't hitchhike. I mean, we got I gotta so I gotta call you out there. Like, That's not, true. That's true. We don't we don't we don't do this this whole thing with a thumb. But but we're we gonna we gonna we gonna rock with it for a second. Okay. Well, hey, we I'll, we getting I'll, revolutionary. I'll, we hitchhiking today. Right, right. I'll suspend my disbelief. Okay, like yeah. only with us brothers, though. Like we we only doing it with brothers. Like like we we that would be I think a little safer. Now. Okay, so we're hitchhiking in Detroit. Only black people. Okay. Got or it, Atlanta yeah. or DC. Atlanta. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So while you standing out in open road, several people stop to pick you up. You can mm-hmm. choose. From any who stop, but you must <laughs> stay with them the entire ride. During the mm. trip, you control the conversation and you can ask or tell them anything and they have to give you honest answers in return. Choose mm. from the list below. Jay-Z, James Baldwin, Dave mm-hmm. Chappelle, Ava DuVernay, Harriet <laughs> Tubman, or Fred Hampton. Wow. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And that's hitchhiking. They picking you up. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd have to say, I'd have to say James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, just because his life intersected with so many other lives, so many moments. My wife, my wife loves James Baldwin. We, I have a, um, a signed copy of The Fire Next Time. It's one of my um, mm-hmm. cherished oh, wow. possessions. Um, and, you know, he, he spans from, I mean, he was friends with everyone from Marlon Brando to Toni Morrison. Like, I mean, just the whole, like, you know, history of American culture. Then you have the Paris piece. And, you, just, you know, it, 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 talking with him would be, understanding our story in a profound way. Um, and so, I mean, there are lots of lots of reasons to choose some of the other folks on that list, but I'd have to go with James Baldwin. Absolutely. Yeah. I knew you would pick James Baldwin. You can't miss with Baldwin. You, you, you <laughs> can't miss. On Wild Black. You can't miss. That's why you're on Wild Black. Yeah. <laughs> kind of easy one. That was a softball. <laughs> no, it's, it's difficult because Ava's awesome and, you know, Dave would have to unpack. Actually, Little known fact. So I, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, but then moved to a little town called Xenia, Ohio, close to Yellow Springs, where Dave Chappelle grew up. And my boy, my very good friend, Curtis, cuts his hair to this day, whenever he saw Dave wow. Chappelle. So um so I, I could I could deal with Dave on that. But um 
But yeah, it had to be James Baldwin. I like it. I like it. All right. Yeah. Third question. Signature question. Yep. What do you love most about Life While Black? Man, there's so many things that I don't want to trivialize the profundity of the Black experience, but I've got to say the jokes. I mean, I they're just things that, that we get that no one else gets. You know, there's there's a level of um, of connection around our shared humor, even humor that comes from really tough times, right? Um, and um, yeah, it's just um, there is... So, I mean, it's more than jokes. It's, it's, it's the joy, but... I would have to say the yeah the humor yeah yeah I like that that is unique I'm I'm gonna go out yeah. there and say profundity what is, I I don't think I've ever heard that word before what was that <laughs> that was a big word like refrigerator yeah the uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so we don't have to Google we, we, that one right <laughs> the 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 um the the actor state of being profound so yeah I, I, I like that one. It's, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we need to spend more time in profundity <laughs> in order to to digest and understand our profundity-ness. I think I think we're in profundity right now. Yes. All right. Look. So That's we, we go move with fondue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're gonna move to the next section. It's um. It's our dope quote, and it is something that relates to the episode and comes from science or religion or math or, or history, education, entertainment. Doesn't really matter. Typically from the mouth of someone black and, again, connects and aligns with the theme of the episode. Today is from someone black. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'd love to get your perspective on the quote. Ready? It's a short one today. Yeah, ready to roll. The only way you really see change is by helping create it by Lena Waithe. When you hear that, Joshua, what's the first thing that comes to mind? First thing that comes to mind is rejecting cynicism, rejecting like nihilism or this, this sense that um, you're, just, you're just floating in this world and you can't do anything about it. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, um, that perspective is comforting to them. That they're, they're just, I'm just here, man. You know, the, the job that I have and the life that, um, the, that's happening around me and so forth is not a situation that... that that I can control, but that quote to me speaks to, man, I, I can change things. I yeah. can put my hand on the wheel and turn that wheel, not just for myself, but for my community, for my family, for the people around me. Um, and, and it seems like an easy or a natural thing to do, but I, I would say that it, that it is, um, it's the road less taken. It's the road less taken to, um, to actually, um, believe that you can change things. So yeah, that's what that's what it means to me. One, I love that response. I, I I love the quote because I am all about what is the act that we are going to take that is going to change our narrative, our position, our trajectory, our definition of success, our everything for tomorrow. And so being a part of it is an absolute requirement. I mean, and it's in essence what I was talking about in the intro. It's like you can start being a part of that with how you dream the dreams that define who you become and what you go after tomorrow. So I absolutely love it. But I think we're ready to get into this first part of the interview. And I want to I jump in and ask you the question that I am sure um, every single Wild Black listener is wondering right now. 
And that is, can you get Obama on Wild Black? That's the first question. Man, um... I'm just gonna kid with you. I'm not gonna say absolutely not, but but I will say it's a hail mary. But hey, hail marys are caught all the time. Every season, somebody catches one. Oh good. Oh good. No, the the real first question is is this: You've done a lot, right? Business, leadership, help survived as a brother to go on and achieve amazing. Written books, spoken everywhere, different outlets found a job in the Obama administration, created companies. You, you have done a lot. And because of that, you have a lot of experience that you've garnered and a, and a lot of thought processes that you have created inside of your brain to help you achieve where it is that you have gone and I'm sure where it is that you'll go as you continue to move and build. So I want to start with a very, very broad question. When you consider the culmination of all of the experiences you've been blessed to have, if you were asked to boil that down to one singular message that you feel all Black folks in this world need to understand, what might that be? Oh, man, do I have to choose no, one? No, of course not. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple, that, that, but I won't, I won't go on with any of these too long. Um, I can, I'm going to immediately go to some of the more practical and tactical messages that have resonated with me. But I have to say, first and foremost, man, and I know this is not a faith-based pro- um, podcast necessarily, but um, man, my Everything we do is based in faith over here, brother. So go for it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, my, my relationship with God is the anchor for my mornings and really the oxygen for my days. I, I And it's not about religion and religiosity. It's not even always about you know, a house of worship, although I, you know, I value my church and I value the, the global church, man, it's about waking up in the morning and being honest with myself about who I am, who I am in relation uh, to God and then and to the people around me um, and, and cultivating that relationship, man, that is illuminated. It's given me direction. It's given me inspiration, clarity. It's, it's brought me forgiveness and grace when I've, I've fallen, which is, which has been plenty of times. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And so, you know, I'm, it's not a throwaway statement to say that that is the heartbeat. That's the center. That, that's everything. Um, that, that would be one thing. Um, you know, I, I would say also I am very intentional about... Um, leaping out there when confronted by moments of doubt. Um, mm-hmm. Is this, um, this poem that I love, I won't recite it, but the, the one line is um, I basically you step to the edge of a, um, of a cliff and you leap in the heavens open, man. And so I, I've had so many binary moments where it's either turn around and go back or just jump and 
you know, I, I, I have this, you know, crazy instinct to jump. Now, sometimes I fall flat on my face, but a lot of times I feel like, you know, um, the heavens open up. So, you know, that, that's one thing. Um, and then finally, man, invest in your options. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, even in moments where, I, and I can get specific on this, but even in moments where I've had very limited resources, um, I'm the type, man, I, I did not have, and you know, our family didn't have a whole lot of money when I was applying for college. I applied for like 15 different schools, right? Like that $50 application fee was, um, uh, was the, the, the kind of least investment for the, to open up the biggest option and one of the biggest decisions, you know, that I can make. And that's, I just use that as a metaphor that at strategic moments in my life, I've, tried to get as many options in front of me as possible in order to make a decision that makes sense for, for me and my family. So yeah, those are a few things, man, but I'm um, happy to go into detail about any of those. No, I think, I think that's perfect. You, you started by, you know, talking about your relationship with God. And when I talk about setting goals, that is, is one thing that I have done that furthered my relationship with God, right? I've got a, a very deep relationship there. My, my faith is extremely strong. I, I walk in his image. I, I receive the blessings that, that he bestows upon me. But over the last few years for me, I have gotten very, very linear and focused on my goals, right? I've got, I've got three of them. Retire early and well. Create a world where my children can be who they are authentically intended to be so that they can contribute mm. the gifts that they should be contributing to the world and then create a financial and educational legacy for my children. Mm. I use those goals to filter literally 90 or 95% of my yeses and my no's. It's how I decide what I'm going to do. I leave myself 5% just for some fun, right? Mm-hmm. But living in that 95% is fun for me. And what I found through that is by being steadfast and firm on those goals, it has allowed everyone around me to begin to funnel the right type of objectives and opportunities to me, right? Everyone wants to bring you something mm-hmm. amazing, but because I'm so focused in these goals, what they bring me all lines up to those goals. And I, and I found that in my relationship with God, by talking to him and allowing him to lead me toward these goals, even the give and take in that relationship has gotten so strategically aligned. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That I sit back Mm. on a daily and a weekly basis and I unpack these blessings that God is bringing to me and they are so, so specifically intertwined with the goals that I have, because the goals that I have are not mine. They're ordained goals. I'm operating in a position of faith, walking toward a place that he has positioned me to walk towards. And because of that, doors open when I don't even knock. And it is a beautiful thing. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. So yes, this is faith-based, brother. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. I love it. And, and I love the interaction between your relationship with God and you know you crystallizing your goals and how you know, God wants the best for you and wants you to achieve those goals. And so he's going to present you with the right options and take away the wrong ones. And Absolutely. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. But bro, you you are a superhero, right? 
You are a superhero. I don't know about all that. Oh, man. yeah. Superhero <laughs> through your accomplishments, through the, the dedication that you have to this place and to this space. And every superhero has an origin story. And I want to better understand yours. Like, help me, help Art, help the Wild Black audience understand from whence you came and from where you go. Sure, man. So um, I was I grew up largely um, in Nashville, Tennessee, and then a little town called Xenia, Ohio. It's where, um, for folks who are familiar with HBCUs, where Wilberforce and Central State mm-hmm. University are. My my father um, and I don't share the same last name. He's not my biological father, but I grew up with him, and he is my dad. Um, Reverend W. Anthony Sinkfield. My mother is most important person in my life, Christy Sinkfield. Um, and my dad um, was an itinerant minister in the AME church. And so we moved around a lot um, from Nashville to Virginia to Ohio. Um, so almost like a military upbringing um, in that, you know, we, we, we moved around um, a fair amount. My biological father and I did have a relationship um, uh, a, a man named Paul Dubois who had a very complicated story with a lot of pretty significant highs and a lot of accomplishments and some pretty deep and dark and complicated lows. Um, and he actually passed away in a federal prison mm. um, when I was um, just beginning my time working for then Senator Obama. And so um, wasn't one of those where he was just absent and gone. Um, I did sp- uh, was able to spend time with him, but he um, battled demons throughout the course of his life. Um, and um, and so that became a theme in my life as well. So gr- uh, graduated high school in Ohio, um, went to uh, Boston University, um, not knowing anything about Boston or New York or the other places where I applied for school. I just knew that I, I love, you know, all respect to Ohio, but I wanted to get out of Xenia, Ohio. And so I, I, I said, I need to be at least four or five states away. And so I applied to those states away and said, Boston sounds like a big city. So I applied to BU and New York sounded like a big city. So I applied to NYU and got into um, some of those institutions, um, ended up getting a full ride to, to Boston University. Um, around that time, I um, was doing an internship on, on Capitol Hill in D.C. during one of my summers. Um, and I, I saw on the television screen a, a state senator from Illinois who was running for the United States Senate um, with some big old ears and a funny shaped head <laughs> and a very <laughs> odd name, um, named Bur- uh, State Senator Barack Obama. Um, and, um, yeah, I can tell you more about the experience, you know, the experience of connecting to his office, but started working for him, um, early in his tenure in the U S Senate, um, skip ahead, ended up, um, leading his faith-based, um, um, outreach on his, on the 2008 campaign. Uh, he obviously won. I was honored to be a part of that. Um, and then, uh, moved into a role in the White House where I led the, uh, office of faith-based and neighborhood partnerships, both in the White House and, 13 federal agency. I was the youngest ever head of a White House office, 26 years old when wow. I started that role. So it was overwhelming and complicated, but also pretty um, amazing at the same time. Uh, decided that it was time for me to move on from the White House in 2013. And so with his blessing, I wrote a book about my experiences um, along with um, some of the devotional messages that I sent him every morning and still send them from time to time. Um, he gave me a quote for the front cover of that book that kind of helped launch it out into the world with HarperCollins. And um, and then I leveraged that to start um, a social impact firm, uh, Values Partnerships. That was almost 10 years ago. We'll celebrate our 10th anniversary in this coming January. We're, I'm uh, deeply honored to be surrounded by an amazing team. We're now the country's largest Black-owned social impact firm. Um, and as you know, man, we, we try to help brands connect with communities in a way that advances the brand goals and advances community interest at the same time. 
I love it. And and I do want to dig into some of your experiences. I want to talk about what you did for Obama at the White House. I want to talk about the role of values partnerships engage. But before we get to that, I want to talk about how you made your way there. So when we have these kind of interviews where we're talking about inspiring people to go from where they are to where they want to be, I always ask some version of this question, right? And part of creating success is believing that it can happen, right? But in order to believe it can happen, you have to have some level of vision. You have to, you have to be able to see it or, or visualize it or someone has to explain it to you. Someone has to, to open you up to that. You got to do some type of action to even believe it's possible. So for those of us who, who were raised in environments that were maybe a bit short on dreams and dreamers and success stories, how does that person then learn to dream further than they can see? How, how do you do that? How did yeah. you do that? Man, I, I may be an inspiration to folks who don't have that long-term vision or didn't have it at key parts in their lives because it's only recently that I've trusted God enough to even think about the long-term. Mm. But where I had vision was about, was vision for the next thing. <laughs> like for the, for, um, I, I was crazy enough to think that that next thing was possible for me. You know, whether it was, um, graduating a high school in a, in a, in a town with a whole lot of challenges and thinking that I could go to a larger university in a big city and somehow pay for it when my parents didn't really have the money to, to pay for it. Like I just, I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to go from Boston, from Ohio to Boston to Princeton to Obama. I just knew, I'm sorry, my earbud popped out. I just knew that, um, from I knew that next I knew that 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 next step might be possible or at least I couldn't think of a reason why it wasn't possible. So that vision was limited and you don't have to have every step plotted out. You right. don't have to have some grand goal but you can you can be audacious enough to believe that that next thing might be possible. And so um so I think that's one thing and and that was repeated over and over again graduating college, you know, people said man, people don't really go to Ivy League institutions straight out of undergrad. You need to go and get some work experience first. You certainly won't be able to pay for it. Um, I applied to a bunch of places, got rejected by a few. Actually, believe it or not, got into Harvard, but didn't get any money and had no way to pay for it. Mm. Um, and um, I asked a professor at um, my undergrad at, at BU, a, a black professor named Glenn Lowry, if he would write a recommendation for me um, and it was that recommendation and a few others um, that were instrumental. And I got into Princeton, man. I am not one of those people. I don't have any um, legacy connects to Princeton. Right? I don't have any. I didn't have the money to pay for Princeton. I, I um, at that point didn't have the qualifications or work experience. I, I mean, I, I, I hustled. I worked really hard in undergrad, but I didn't have two or three years before going to school. But I was crazy enough to think to either think that it was possible or to um, to not even think about the impossibility of it. Right? I just yeah, shut that part yeah. out and said, let me get this next step. Same thing with Obama, man. And that, that was a crazy one um, because was in uh, grad school. Um, like I said, I, I'd seen him um, 
when I was, I, I saw him on, on a television uh, when he was giving the speech at the 2004 Democratic National Convention. I remember you may that. remember that big Absolutely. speech. Yeah, he kind of went onto the national stage, but I didn't have any inside connect to his office. So um, wrapped up my summer internship, went back to Jersey to finish my, my last year in, in grad school and started hitting them up, man. I started emailing his Senate campaign, um, wrote him a letter, um, actually have the form letter rejection that they sent me back. Um, <laughs> and which was kind of crazy. Um, and then, you know, as, as when he was elected, um, but establishing his transition office in the, into the United States Senate, I just drove down there from New Jersey um, and showed up, you know, at the transition office and said, hey, man, I've been been hitting you all up. Is there anyone that could talk to me about a role? Josh, you, you showed up with your demo no. tape in hand, huh? I literally <laughs> did, man. With, I was like, I got bars. I, you know, if you, if you listen to me. I was I was like Kanye in the documentary. Man. Yeah. I don't know if y'all saw that. Yeah. But, um, I was I was out there shopping it. Um and man, got turned around at the door. Um, I had to go back up 95, four and a half hours, five hours back to Jersey. Did it again a couple weeks later. Um, just literally just drove down there. And um, at that point, I guess they felt bad for me because they said, you know, I could meet with somebody in the office. Had a great conversation with this awesome brother. Um, and I got back in the car to drive back to Jersey again and um, and assumed that, you know, this was this might be happening. And then I Googled him. And although I'm I'm applying for a legislative role, it looks like they they put me with the IT guy. Not that there's anything wrong with IT guys, but he was not the one who was going to make any decisions about me, you know, having a role in the <laughs> office. And so I sent a last ditch email um, to the legislative director, a guy named Chris Liu, and um, and said, "Man, I have hit y'all up for six months now. Um, I've driven down there twice. Um, is there any way I can at least get an interview?" And somehow in the um, through God's grace, somehow that that burst through the thousands of other emails that he was receiving. And he gave me um, an interview. We had a phone conversation, led to another conversation, and I ended up getting hired um, in his Senate office. And so it was just this sense of this is not closed off to me. I know it sounds crazy. I know you don't just work for Barack Obama, but somehow this this is a possibility for me. I didn't have the big vision, but I had enough vision for the next step. Man, you know what I love about that? Wow. It's, you You hear people talk about, like, the, the keys to success and what are they, you know, how do I get them? And and what I heard you say in that is that these keys, they ain't, they're, they're not sexy, right? These keys they're were... They're not sexy, man. They were persistence and, Painful, and determination. Rejection. Uh, dedication. It was, it was all the, all the shuns that might feel a bit boring, right? You got in your car. And and drove like four four and a half hours and, and and knocked on doors and we laugh about the demo tape but there's a there's a certain flair and dedication to someone who's willing to put that much at risk right it's the, the sacrifice of your time and your dollars for something that may feel foolish or or even dream it's like for me it is like that is that is a level of foolish confidence that has positioned me well many times before obviously positioned you well because look where you are today. And there, I think there are tons of examples of the people who believed in themselves enough to take these big risks when everyone around you, or at least many people around you, would often say, fool, what are you doing? Like, yeah. put that in your tank and, and let's go kick it this weekend or go holler at this girl or, 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 or let's, let's, let's just put this, let's try to put our own demo on the radio. But you... You knocked on a door that was closed and it was locked, and you knocked until they opened it and at least said, "Who are you? What the heck do you want?" Like this, 
Yeah. There's a power in that, brother. There's a real power yeah. in, in that. I, I appreciate you telling us that story. So, Of course. And, and I do have to say, Darcy, it goes back to the first thing, though, because something when God gives you a sense of peace about something, even that. if it doesn't make any sense, you just keep going. If he gives you that, that sense that, oh, man, this is, this is right, you know, like then, then that's all I need, man. You just yeah. keep going until something happens, you know? Yeah, I love that. All right, will you, will you say something, bro? I was in, yeah, that's, that's so true. Like it, from whence your power comes for you to even be able to endure that level of dedication and, and just drive, even with rejection, a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. Can you imagine two four hours? And, and I'm telling you, drives? it didn't feel like it didn't feel like drive. I just have to say that for those who are not like, I mean, we all know the, you know, top of the class, the the kid who somehow knew how to tie his tie yeah. right before everybody else. And like, and I I love those kids. I hire those kids. I was not that kid though, right? And so for those who are not that dude, right? That but that just have that that sense that man, I just cannot fail. Like I can't, you know, I can't. I, I got too much on the line. Just know that that was certainly me as well. I, I wasn't the, I mean, you know, I was, I had a loud mouth sometimes. And so I was active in different things, but I, it, it wasn't, I wasn't the clean, you know, he's definitely going to be the one to make it kind of a dude. It yeah. was, it was something other than that. Yeah. You know, one thing you said, I want you to dig into a little bit is this. It didn't feel like drive, right? I, I didn't feel like I was the head of the class. I didn't feel like I was most likely to succeed. I think that's such an important point because most of us don't, right? What what did it feel mm-hmm. like? What what right. did push you? Yeah, man. It um. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim. Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Felt like why not? Mm. <laughs> it, felt, it felt like it felt like um, I have a binary option. Either I'm going to do something that is thrilling and interesting or lucrative or what have you, or I'm going to sit where I am. Why not, man? Why not? And particularly that I have to be honest that why not spirit has sort of waned and maybe faded a little bit and and given way to more strategy, more judgment, more planning as I get older. And so I really do. I, I, I try to encourage, you know, mentees and young folks, man, particularly in the earlier phases of your life and career where you have the luxury for that. Why not? to really go for it, yeah. right? Like, to, you know, um, I, I, there are a lot of kids that I know, even members of my own family that um, are pretty cautious. They're hesitant. They're, you know, they're, they're worried about taking risks. Um, and there's just a flexibility that they have that, that that is the moment to kind of have that why not spirit. The other piece I didn't say is that um, when I got the offer for Senator Obama's office, I'm coming out of graduate school at Princeton. My colleagues are making six figures in lots of different places. I had an offer from a nonprofit in New York making around $90,000 a year, which was mind-blowing for where I came from. And the role in Senator Obama's office was a legislative uh, correspondent making $26,000 a year. So even then, even then, it was like, 
I mean, the the decision was like, are you kidding me? Is that like, is not only do I have to take a risk and, and you know, did, did, did I have to take the risk to even get this role? Now I've got to take a pretty significant financial risk to take this job too. But, but I was 22, right? And yeah. so I could, I could live in a one bedroom apartment across the street from Anacostia high school. And I didn't have any kids and I, you know, I wasn't married. Um, and so it, it it was something that I could do at that time. It was one of those why not moments. Yeah. You know, I said mm. this a couple of times, something else that's beautiful about what you just said is you talked about at, at this stage of your career, you, you move differently, right? You don't, you don't think that same way. You are more strategic now. I think that's the development. That's the spectrum. That's the trajectory you should be on because now you're positioned to make things possible for the next person who comes through just like you did, right? Someone has to be at yeah. the top building and setting up organizations and processes and putting people in place so that when the next person drives back and forth two times, four and a half hours and knocks on doors and stands outside with the boom box, plays his mixtape, that someone says, you know what? Let's get this cat a chance. Like that's, that's position. Yeah. That's what we need. You also talked about something else that is dear to my heart, and, and that's mentorship. For me, there are a few components. Everyone talks about mentorship, but I believe in the idea of, of mentorship happening at a peer-to-peer level or maybe one level above. I, I think about advocacy that happens at a slightly higher level. And then I think about championing someone who happens at the highest levels. And, and I think like effective growth in a professional setting or, or, or non-professional setting, like really requires all that to like really, really excel. So I, I know you serve in those capacities for people now, but when you were going into Princeton, when you were coming out of Princeton, when you were knocking on these doors and, and asking for these opportunities, what was your mentorship situation like then? Yeah, I will say that, and you know, again, man, I'm just, I, hopefully this is an inspiration to someone, but it was limited because I'm not good at asking people for help. Mm. Um, and um, I think people need to hear that. Absolutely. And I, I also had a level of cynicism I, because so many of my early decisions didn't seem to make sense on paper. Like even going to, to Boston when I got a full ride to the university of Dayton, so I could have stayed home in Ohio and, and, Made that move, um, the taking this Obama job. Some some amazing people that I love in my life were basically advising me to do the opposite of what I knew I should be doing, yeah. and that created a, a probably unhealthy aversion to taking advice. I, it, mm. it, it created a, a sense of man, I just need to do what I need to do, and um, so I've had to learn to be mentored. Um, mm. It, it did not come natural for me. I had a good mentor in the White House, a guy named Mike Stratmanis. Um, you know, and Mike was helpful on the professional front, but it was more on the emotional stuff. I, I can tell you a story about how he like calmed me down in a very difficult moment in um, you know my 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 time and in, in career in, in the White House. Um, and it's actually the business mentors that I have now that are navigating things. You know, like. Um, well, initially setting up our company, a wonderful guy named Marlon Buckner who helped me think about what it meant to run a consulting firm. And um, and now do we get into more complex conversations around 
you know, scale and fundraising and so forth. I have some folks who have sort of taken me under their wing and given me advice as well. And so I'm learning to be mentored still. Um, I do have some good ones that have been along the way, but they, um, that have been there along the way, but they, they've been limited and I, I'm learning to be mentored. Now, what I will say, and this is a slightly different from mentorship, but it's been critical for me mm-hmm. is I have accountability partners, mm-hmm. even though I may not have like the older mentors. And so, um, a uh, dear, dear friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world, uh, Eugene Schneeberg, we met at BU. He was actually the person that reintroduced me to my faith after I had walked away. Um, and we've been praying together um, every, weekly for the last 22 years. It's, it sounds crazy, but literally since wow. the late 90s when I got to Boston, um, we've been in a regular prayer cycle. And then about five years ago, we brought in two other very, very dear friends. You know, these guys are in my wedding and so forth. Um, and we started every Tuesday morning. We just have, you know, a few minutes where we just lay it out. What's happening with us? What's going well? What What are the you know, personal disasters and challenges we need to walk through and how can we pray for each other? Yeah. Um, and so that has, that has um, supplemented, even though I haven't had as many sort of more formal mentor experiences, that, that sort of accountability um, and relationship with, with other brothers who I've just been walking with for a while has right. been very helpful. That's such a benefit in, in the perspective that you're bringing, right? Because talking about how you have achieved what you have achieved, even when you didn't feel driven, didn't feel top of the class. Understanding that you didn't know how to accept mentorship and now finding the balance between that inner voice and those, those outer voices of you know, advisement and, and encouragement. I think it's powerful, again, because there's got to be a huge section of our listening audience and of the, the country and of, of Black folks who feel that way. Who, who think that because I don't know how to or I can't seem to adjust to outside direction, I'll never make it. And that's just not the truth. There's a, there's a road yeah. and there's a path. And, and man, I think that's absolutely beautiful. Like it's, a, it's honestly a perspective I haven't considered myself before. Like how do you help those who don't necessarily know how to be helped? Like how do you reach? How do, how do they help themselves in this case? I think that's absolutely awesome. So I, I want to I fast forward a little bit because I want to get to some of your experience, right? I, I want to talk a little bit about what you did in the White House and then how you took that experience and others and transitioned into the work that you do for values partnerships and for Gage with these corporations around the, the country and the world. So tell me a little bit about the White House time period, including the story about fearing Obama and basketball. <laughs> yeah, I didn't so- forget. My, uh, I thank you, I, and I'll definitely tell you that one. So my work was kind of divided into three roles. My um, my formal job was I led the faith based initiative, which basically meant that I ran thirteen small federal agency offices all across the government and one office in the White House that um, advised on grants that went to local nonprofits and faith based groups and helped the government stay connected to grassroots organizations um, from on issues related to hunger, to housing, to international um, relations and, and, um, and development. Um, each one of these agencies had an office that was responsible for working with faith-based groups and community-based groups. Mm-hmm. And then I, I managed those, those offices. So that was kind of the formal part of my job. Informally, dating back to the Senate office and then on the campaign, I ended up being one of the, the president's go-tos 
when it was something really complicated related to race and culture. Um, so I helped to manage the craziness around Reverend Wright on the campaign. Um, I don't know if you all remember, Absolutely. but just kind of oh, that, yeah. um, that complexity and work with um, Senator Obama on his speech on race in Philadelphia. And because of those experiences and the relationships from there, when it came time to keep the White House connected to leaders in the civil rights community, um, dearly departed mentors and friends of mine, like Reverend Joseph Lowry, Dr. C.T. Vivian and others, that was part of my job as well. Um, when it came time for him to write a speech on a very tough issue in a difficult moment, um, even after I left, it um, was honored to contribute to his speech. Um, in Charleston after the massacre of people mm-hmm. at Mother Emanuel. Um, that was a big part of my job as well. And because of kind of the faith-based work um, in moments of kind of national tragedy, like, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, slaying of children in Newtown, I went with President Obama in moments like that and tried to be kind of a comfort and support. So that was kind of the informal part. Um, and then the last thing was um, just a personal support for him. And so I ended up um, getting in a cadence of sending him devotional messages every morning that he appreciated and and read. Um, uh, I was honored that the first lady had asked me to teach um, Sunday schools for her uh, for the for the girls, and so did that as well. And so that I didn't get paid for any of that. That wasn't a formal part of my job, but um, it was something that that I valued. So did he get you yeah, a discount man, on your taxes crazy. or something though? Like a little discount on yeah, exactly, coupon. Yeah. No man, tax coupon. Stored up treasures in heaven, man. So no, it was um. It it was an amazing experience. I don't think I did enough reflecting in that time that like, you know, walking down West Executive Avenue and um, going into the Oval Office with the first black president, I was just doing the work, right? Yeah. And it, but every now and then it would hit me that, man, I'm a young black man in a space where people that look like me, you know, could, could only um, basically be servants for a couple hundred years, right? Yeah. And here we are. And so um, it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, but man, it, at some point it was time to go. And so, um, I, that's, that's a, a longer story. I'm happy to get into it. But, um, after the reelection, um, like I said, I, I like to be, I like to be on the leading edge, the front edge. I don't want to ever be the last one out the door. I try to be the first one and nobody had written a book yet about their experiences. Nobody had, you know, really left to start kind of an institution. And so I, I asked president Obama, um, if I could put together some of the devotionals I'd sent them and some stories of my time in the White House. He thought it was a good idea. And he said, yes, I love it. Um, and he ended up giving me, like I said a, a earlier, a quote for the front cover of this book. It's called The President's Devotional um, and used the advance from that um, to, to serve as kind of a bridge loan to myself to start our our company values partnerships. And um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the experience in the White House. Nice. Oh, the, I needed. I got to tell you about the basketball. Though. Yeah. Let uh, me get into that. Absolutely. Hit us with it. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's um, I will never hoop with Barack Obama ever again. And and the reason <laughs> is, and I'm not saying I'm that I'm that great. Um, but you know, I, I you wore him out. I can hold my own. But Barack no, I didn't because did. one, <laughs> he. He talked so much trash the entire time. I mean, just like consistent avalanche of smack. He's throwing elbows. I mean, he's pulling your shorts. You can't, you know, you can't hardly get a layup in. He's pulling your shorts. And you can't do anything because there are men 10 feet from you with M16s that will literally shoot you <laughs> if you foul him hard. At least you think they will, right? So you, so, you're playing basketball um, with so. Barack Rodman. 
Right. Exactly, <laughs> man. The Detroit like, Pistons. <laughs> Barack Barkley out there, man. It, um, it's, it's so, um, so yeah, that's just, that's, that's the experience is that I just, I won't hoop with them again as a result of that. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had that same problem. Every time he asked me, I just, you know, I ain't got time, Barack. We'll <laughs> holler, holler at me later, Barack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so so talk to us a little bit about the organizations you started now. Tell the listeners what Values Partnership is, what Gage is, and then what lessons and learnings you took from your role as the White House and apply it there. Yeah, so Values Partnerships is uh, the country's largest Black-owned social impact firm. And, and what is a social impact firm? Well, we help a range of companies and brands launch new projects that are good for that company and good for the community at the same time. Yeah. So the brand gets the value of people being excited about them and happy about them and wanting to buy more of their products and services because they're good for the community and the community gets benefit as well. So what, some examples of that. We help Goldman Sachs put together and launch their one million black women initiative, an investment initiative, and um, you know, investing ten billion dollars in the future uh, of of black women. We work with Audible, the audiobooks company. Every time they have a new audiobook that um, connects to communities of color, we help build a marketing campaign around it. We hopefully introduce something that gives some joy and inspiration to um, to diverse communities, but also help Audible um, at the same time. When Procter and Gamble has you know, advertising uh, a, a short film related to race, which they do a lot of. We help them. Um... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Build uh, those those campaigns and initiatives and then launch them out into the world. And hopefully people will watch something that inspires them, that encourages them. Um, and so forth. We are um, honored to work with some amazing tech companies, helping them connect to diverse communities, hear from diverse leaders through advisory councils and 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 more, um, and, and just make sure that people of color and other diverse communities have um, have a voice in corporate decision making. Yeah. So we build those bonds. It's not just marketing. It's not just PR. Yeah. We try to make sure that there's wins that flow both ways. That people, everybody gets something out of the partnership and relationship. And, you know, try to root it in credibility and trust. Yeah. So that's Values Partnerships. I mean, I work with some amazing people. We're proud to be, you know, 90% diverse. Um, but we also love uh, uh, the folks on our team that are coming from a majority background. But it's, it's cool that, you know, that, that we're a largely Black-owned and led company. Um, four years ago, um, I realized that our clients for Values Partnerships were facing big challenges over and over again. They were launching stuff out into the world that people weren't resonating with or they were making big mistakes. And it was because of the way they were doing their market research. There yeah. was no research tool that allowed them to test their stuff with smart people from different backgrounds um, before it went out into the world. Um, the people that were shaping culture weren't showing up for focus groups. They weren't in surveys. So how do you, how do you launch things with confidence? How do you mitigate risk? So we built a tool that, solved, that is solving that actively for some of the biggest brands in the country. It's called Gage. Our website is gauge.ai. It's software that brand leaders from Target and CVS Health and Snap and Pinterest and others log on to, and they test their strategic questions, their ads, their ideas with communities of really smart, diverse people. Mm -hmm. Those diverse people get compensated for their wisdom. They get a voice in corporate decisions. 
and brands get a um, get a, a much better pathway to making better decisions. And so uh, we've been building it, man. Our main tool, Next Lab, has been out for about 18 months. It's growing rapidly, and kind of we're excited about that future. So yeah, that, those are kind of the two things: values, partnerships, and engage are are the two companies. Absolutely. So I want to tie the work you do there to the community listening. So with with the work you're doing both for VP and for Gage, how does that impact the companies that then impact us as consumers and folks yeah. who just operate, live, and spend our money? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a few examples here. Um, for Sephora, um, for both Values Partnerships and Gage, we've helped them shape some big initiatives related to racial bias in retail settings. And so um, we, we've helped them hear from um, communities, particularly women of color, especially black women, that there's still a problem when they go to the, the point of sale, to the cash register, they're discriminated against sometimes. Uh, so we, we help them identify that priority and then think about the specific tangible things that will change that um, for communities of color, whether it's different ways of thinking about loss prevention, so you're not following people around the store all the time or different trainings for employees and so forth. So we help them identify the problem, identify solutions, and and, and uh, listen to communities about what those solutions should be and then implement those solutions. We work with Pinterest on your um, inclusive hair type search tool, right? So what, what do black women think about this and how should it roll out? What should that product look like? Um, and so forth. And so, yeah, those are a couple examples where we're listening to communities, giving their feedback and advice to our partners and then helping our partners implement something new. Yeah, yeah. We're getting toward the end, but I, I want to ask you this question. Across your experiences and your career, you, you have worked in places of passion, right? You, you've gotten a chance to create impact that is bigger than economic or, or just cultural. It's, it's like the culmination of, of all of that. Like your work impacts us in a multitude of ways and probably deeper than we'll ever really, really, really realize. But my question to you is this. How do you know when you're done? How do you know mm. when the impact that you, Joshua, have created on this world is big enough it will be pleasing to the eyes of God. And now it's time for you to stand aside and, and rest for a moment. What, yeah. what does that look like? Man, it is a profound question, uh, which is no surprise coming from you. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I think you, you have more emotional intelligence on these things than probably anybody I've ever met. So I'll come back to that. But I appreciate the, that. I, I, maybe five, six, seven years ago, maybe longer than that, maybe coming out of the White House, but starting this company realized that um, striving for worldly goals probably um, wasn't it for me. Somebody used the metaphor of, um, you know, if you're climbing to the top of a ladder, you got to make sure it's up against the right building because mm. you could get up to the top and look around. You're like, man, mm. what was this thing? Right. Mm. So, so the stuff I'm striving towards right now, Darius, is, man, I want to wake up every morning with a sense of peace mm. in my lungs, literally in my chest. Right. Like I want to, um, yeah. I want my kids to have a sense of possibility about their lives, but also not to measure that possibility and how much money they make, or, you know, I, I want them to be free to explore their dreams and their goals and the things that they're passionate about and, and they, and they love and to be disciplined and to stick with things. Um, 
but I, I want the best for them. I want my wife to know that she is loved mm. and that and you know protected and that she can live an unencumbered life. Um, I want you know my friends to to know that I'm there for them in good times and tough times. Uh, you know I want to pour back into my my siblings and my grandmother and my mom. Like those are the kind. And and most importantly, I want to cultivate a deep relationship with, with my savior, with Mm. God, that, um, that is grounding for me, um, every day. So, I mean, that is what, when you say I'm done, I'm kind of done, right? Like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm working on some other stuff right now that it's, it sounds, and I used to hate it. Like when people that like, back when I didn't have anything and when people that had money would say, it's not about the money. I'm like, yeah, it's easy for you to say that. It's not about the money. Right. And so I get, uh, you know, I get that God has blessed us with some success. Um, and, you know, and I'm still, I'm still pursuing, I'm absolutely still pursuing goals with values partnerships and with gauge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm starting that pivot, man, where, you know, once we reach some markers with values, I'm going to empower other people to take it further. Once we meet some, meet, reach, meet um, some markers with gauge, I'm going to do the same. I'm increasingly unashamed that when we hit the, as we're hitting those points, a part of the, what that allows me to do is build wealth because, and we discussed this before, I know what I'm going to do with that wealth. And what I, what I am doing with what God has blessed me with is I'm pouring it back into what he wants me to do, both for my family, for myself and for the people Mm -hmm. around me. So I'm starting that pivot literally now. And I, and I, I don't know when it's going to completely pivot. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm done. It just means I'm on to some other things, man. I'm on to pouring into other people. I'm on into, man, I'm excited, man. Um, I, I think people build wealth both through building businesses, but also selling them. And Absolutely. I'm excited to share that those lessons with someone at some point. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, I think that I've learned the power in, in recent years of compound interest, man. And I'm excited Say to that. teach oh, people <laughs> about that, man. Hey, man. Um, you know, I, I'm in my barbershop preaching about compound interest, man. I'm getting people to pull out their cell phones and set up an account on betterment, one of these apps and start depositing $50 a week because you know, I, I've showed people how, um, like what, what that can do over time. You know, if you start doing, um, let me ask you this. Um, what's the average car note these days Ooh. for a monthly car note? I don't know. Maybe, maybe 450, 500. I don't know. 450, 450, 500. Let's take it a little lower than that, but that's an average one. I mean, that's, and that we're not talking about a Range Rover, right? right? We're talking, you know, this is an average, average car note. If you start, um, the S and P 500 has returned over the last 50 years, about 9.4%, right? Yeah. Um, um, that's, that's 50 years worth of data. That's, that's real deal. You can Google that. Um, if you start an account at, uh, 20 years old, um, on any one of these apps that are available on your phone right now, and you deposit $50 in it and you take what you would spend, you, and it's a stretch for some people, man, $400 is still a lot of money, but you take mm-hmm. what you would spend on an average car note and put that in monthly. In 35 years, by the time you're 55, you are almost guaranteed to have around 1.2, 1.3 million dollars. So, if anybody's listening to this, and if you could stretch for 50 bucks for the, the initial deposit and stretch yourself, the power of compound interest. Google it if you. If you this, this, this is nothing. This is not a hustle. This is not me. This is not some weird concept. It's just math. Mm-hmm. You will be a millionaire almost, almost guaranteed um, before most people are ready to retire. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing, man, I want to empower people with what I'm learning. It took me years to learn some of this stuff, whether it's building a business, hiring people, reaching a point of, you know, um, 
re, re, you know, a, a pretty solid foundation and now growing wealth. Like uh, at some point I'm going to pivot and just pour that into other people. Yeah. So that's, that's the goal. I love that. And, and even to add to that, if you've got that million or that 1.2 or 1.4, if that money invested earns less than the annual return of the stock market right now, that means you can still take 40, 50, $60,000 off every year and never yep. touch that principal. Never touch the never principal. Touch and then you, you take a little part of that and you put it in another strategic investment and that mill becomes three and it becomes yep. four and, and so forth. And yep. so, and, and then, no, check this out. So you were doing 400 a month because that's what you could do. But as soon as you get a better job, you do a thousand a month. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then you're talking about three, up. four, five million dollars in your early fifties. Like right. I, it, it is just math. And I wish, I wish I would have done it in my twenties, but man, I'm glad I started doing it in my thirties because it's changed kind of where we are. Amen. Yeah. Brother, you, you said one thing that you wanted to be able to, I think you said taste the peace. And it made me think I too, I want the peace in my space to be so thick that when I breathe, I know what peace tastes like. I want some of that. Like you, you have put that yeah. in my mind. I, that, that is going to be a sub goal. I want peace so thick that I taste it when I simply breathe. That is a yeah. new goal. I'm, go, I'm putting that with my gummy bears, Art. That's what my gummy <laughs> bears <laughs> Man, my, my mantra for 2022 is I am completely at rest. I don't mm. care what's happening around me. I, it is... It is. I'm soaked in it, man. And I, I don't live up to that all the time. You ask my wife. Sometimes I don't act at rest. Yeah. But I keep coming back to that, man. I am, I am at rest no matter what. And I'm not going to wait until I'm 80 to be at rest, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to live like it right now. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Joshua, brother, this has been great, man. We are at the end. We always love to give our guests the microphone to close us out. Tell the people yeah. whatever it is that's on your heart to share. And do please tell them how to track, follow, engage with you. Yeah, man. Um, I'm at Twitter at Joshua Dubois. You can check out gauge.ai or valuespartnerships.com. I, I'm, I'm going to, this may make you a little uncomfortable, man, but I'm going to throw this back to you. Um, and um, Darius, I only know you. I'm, I'm excited to connect with both of y'all this, um, today, but I, I just have to say, whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to do whatever God is putting in your heart because you have an ability to, capture concepts, to bring a level of joy, but also to be focused on the task at hand, to read back, to um, to, to, to describe a situation to people. It's just brilliant, man. I, I, I've interacted literally today with a couple CEOs, right? And with, um, I'm, you know, interface with the president of the United States and you have a very, very unique skill set. So I know you may make you uncomfortable in the context of this conversation, but you ever want to dream big with me, man, you, I, I'd love to grab some time with you because- That's absolutely literally. Literally, whatever you want to do, man, is um is is on the table for you. So I'm I'm that's my final word. Is I'm I'm proud of you, you gentlemen, for creating this space. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. I love it. I love it. I love it. I have learned to not be uncomfortable and to receive. It took a long time, <laughs> but I received that brother, and I appreciate that brother. I love you for saying it. I yeah. look forward to building, and I'm so glad you came and blessed us today. Indeed. Awesome, man. Indeed. All right, we'll wrap with y'all. So I'm about to go put these babies to bed. All right. Wild Black, right, peace. Brother. We out. We love <laughs> right. you. Okay. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.